Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron. The other host joining me today is Daniel Sun. Hello. Now, before we start today's episode, we do have a quick announcement to make. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by joining our Patreon. For just $5 a month, enjoy weekly Patreon-exclusive episodes and access to our extensive back catalog of over 184 Patreon episodes that are all ad-free. You can now sign up to our Patreon via Spotify by going to our podcast on the Spotify app and clicking on the banner that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Now, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or Spotify. That helps us out a lot. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. Also, our content is entirely human-made. No AI was involved or harmed in the process. And that is the end of the announcements. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In the world of the unexplained, an eerie tale surfaces, one that resides in the shadowy depths beneath our feet. Mysterious, unexplained beings, hidden from the prying eyes of the surface world, beckon us to explore the strange tunnels that stretch beneath our planet's surface. Some call them subterranean inhabitants, cryptic tunnel dwellers, or even the Hollow Earth Guardians. Do these human-like creatures truly dwell in the dark tunnels under our planet, hidden away from the world above? Or are they figments of our collective imagination, born from the depths of our primal fears and curiosity about the unknown? In this exploration, we delve into the shadows that conceal the secrets, seeking to unearth the truths that lie beneath our feet. This is Underground Entities. All right, so for the past few months, Dan and I have been receiving emails from individuals telling us, hey, we want you to look into reports of strange humanoid creatures living in the tunnels all around the world. Initially, we were skeptical at first. We were like, tunnels? What tunnels? Moles? <laughs> Moles? You talk about the homeless people that live in the tunnels underground? No. After we looked into it, we discovered an entire treasure trove of newspaper articles dating back to the early 1900s. In these newspaper articles, it had various reports of local workers coming across underground tunnels that had reptilian humanoid creatures in them. Now, after finding these newspaper clippings, we decided to look further into this subject and learned that this encounter in the early 1900s was not the first and was definitely not the last. And it was at this point that we decided, hey, we need to cover this topic. We had to. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So for us to start off this entire episode today, 
we are first going to talk a little bit about the history of tunnels, and then we're going to hop into some juicy stories of individuals encountering odd creatures inside of them. So Dan, can you start that off for us? So throughout the entire world, hidden under layers of soil, stone, and shit, are vast networks of tunnels and even underground cities. And I know that these types of structures sound like something only humans nowadays, you know, with modern technology can create. However, that is not the case. Not at all. Because for thousands of years, all over the entire world, between different cultures, humans have been digging out tunnels for various reasons. For example, in Mexico, you have the ancient city of Teotihuacan, which on the surface, I mean, it's an amazing place, which, you know, leave a lot of people wondering how the hell did an ancient civilization create them? Then in the 1970s, it was discovered that underneath the ancient city of Teotihuacan is an intricate network of tunnels. Those tunnels extend over three miles with rooms branching off in various directions. Now, like we previously mentioned, these ancient tunnels have been found all over the world. For example, just south of Mexico, in Guatemala, there is the Mayan pyramid complex of Tikal. Now, it was discovered that underneath this pyramid is an intricate system of underground tunnels. These tunnels connect various parts of the vast city and state, suggesting that it was once used as a method of transportation. Now, if you travel further south, down to Peru and South America, you'll find even more tunnels. Near the city of Cusco, the ancient Incas carved directly into the rock and built the Quinco Tunnel Network. This tunnel system was said to have been used for religious and ceremonial purposes. Now, instead of us going further south, deeper into South America, we are going to go east and across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, after we pass over the sea, you will go northeast until you come across Egypt. It was here where an amazing underground discovery was made. Underneath the Giza Plateau is an enormous underground network of structures that are larger than any cathedral in the world. This underground network is a combination of man-made caverns and tunnels, as well as rivers and passages. And just a little fun fact, but since the late 1970s, explorations have been made and individuals have been mapping out these caverns using ground-penetrating radar. So we continue our journey throughout the world, and we leave Egypt and we head east until we hit China. So in 1992, over 24 man-made caves were discovered, and they were called the Longyu Caves. These enormous caves are carved into solid siltstone, which is a massive undertaking that required the removal of over 80,000 pounds of stone. The floor area of each cave extends over 6,500 square feet, with the highest point in the caves reaching over 100 feet tall. Now, these Longyu Caves are not roughly cut along the walls. They don't look like shit. It's not like somebody just went and took a chisel and did it. They are symmetrical. They are perfectly cut. And it's that same way throughout the entire 24 caves. However, there are no tool marks or signs of work. Also, there are no historical records even mentioning these caves. And we do have some photographs of them that we'll post on our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can go there, click on today's episode, and see all of the photographs that we talk about. And that is an enormous cave with some intricate designs on the inside. Look at that. Those designs of the people, they're so smooth, so precise. Yeah, very well done. All right, so now next to China is India, which has a buttload of underground tunnels. 
For example, the city of Varanasi, which is believed to be one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. Not only that, but the city also has an extensive network of underground passages, tunnels, and rooms that date back several centuries. Also, in the western part of India, you have Elora, which has an underground network of tunnels and chambers as well. Now, one of the most astonishing of these is called the Kailasa Temple, which was carved from a single rock and extends into the earth. And we have a photograph of that as well. And how impressive is that? It's huge. It's like they looked at the side of a giant rock and said, you know what? We're going to just take a lot of rock out of that rock and make it into a building. And that's what they did. There's a dungeon boss in there. There's some good loot there. I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. So if you continue to travel from India and head northwest, you will run into the country of Ukraine. You don't want to go there right now, though. No. So located there in the city of Odessa is a large underground network of tunnels stretching over 1,500 miles, making it one of the largest networks of tunnels anywhere in the world. That's some long tunnels. That is a long tunnel. All right. So those are just some examples of tunnels located all over the world. And there are a lot more. Now, it is important to know that when it comes to us humans, that we do not belong underground. Biologically, our bodies are just not designed for life underground. However, for hundreds of years, individuals have spotted various human-like creatures in these underground tunnels. And that is what our episode is over today. These underground entities. So let's hop into the juicy stuff and talk about some of these encounters that individuals have had with these underground reptilian space lizard humanoid entities. Damn. And I don't know if they're reptilian space lizard humanoid entities. I just said that. I know they're some type of entities, but we're not exactly sure what. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this first encounter. So our first encounter that we're going to talk about comes from the famous Phoenician explorer Marco Polo. In 1255, Marco was traveling along and decided to stop in the flourishing Chinese city of Paiping. It was in this city that Marco overheard the locals telling stories of their encounters with these half-man, half-beast creatures. Of course, Marco, being a nosy little bitch, he was like, you know what? I need to know some more. So he stuck his ear up next to the door and listened in on some locals as they were talking. And they said, hey, these creatures were said to have made their home under buildings deep in the Earth's underground areas, surrounded by wet, darkened sewers. They were nasty. Nasty. At this point, Marco got curious and decided to ask the chief guard of Kublai Khan about this. To his surprise, the chief guard told Marco that he had experienced what the locals were actually talking about. The guard told Marco that a long time ago, when he was just a wee young lad, his father and uncles had hired a team of excavation workers. After the work crew dug up 10 feet of dirt, they discovered a freshly hollowed out cavern. The workers decided, hey, let's enter this cavern and walk through the ancient dirt tunnels below. Would you walk through the tunnel if you found it? You know what? I, I would have said no, but then again, I would have. I, I say no now because of what I know, but before we researched this, I would have. Yeah. I probably still would. Yeah. Uh, give me a spear. I go down there and whittle it and throw it at these creatures that look like they're from the movie The Descent. Oh. Yeah. All right. So after looking around in the tunnel for a bit, the workers began hearing guttural groans of what they referred to as monkey talk. They stated that it was like gibberish to human ears, but was hellish and frightening. 
The workers immediately dropped their tools and started running towards the exit of the tunnel as these creatures began chasing them. So that was told to Marco Polo back in 1255. Now, over 500 years later, something very similar happened. In 1832, the Minister of the Interior of France, Adolphe Thiès, started hearing strange rumors of builders who had abandoned construction of a church, leaving the foundation incomplete. He was pissed off. He's like, what the hell? Why aren't these workers doing the damn job? Now, Adolphe was able to locate the workers and asked them, hey, why did y'all quit working on the damn church? The workers stated that as they were digging to lay the foundation of it, they stumbled upon a series of caverns that were approximately 10 to 12 feet below the surface. The workers decided to explore these tunnels and ended up coming across these animal-like creatures. However, they were unlike any animal that they had ever seen before. The worker went on to say that these animal-like creatures were living within those caverns and that they screamed really loud, so loud that it scared the workers and they ran away and refused to work at that location anymore. So that was in 1832 in France. And believe it or not, around this time of the 1800s at the University of South Carolina, rumors were circulating between the university staff and the students. Rumors of a tunnel system beneath the university that contained an underground figure that haunts and attacks students. Yeah, and for the longest time, they thought this was just rumors. And there wasn't any documented encounters with any type of underground entity. However, that all changed. So on November 12th, 1949, at around 10.45 p.m., two students from the university were walking near the Long Street Theater. As they made their way along the street, they both noticed a strange man wearing a silver suit. Both of the students watched the man open a manhole cover and disappear into the tunnel system. One of the students that encountered this was Christopher Nichols, who was a journalist with the university's newspaper. That following week, Christopher decided to write a report of this encounter, in which he called it the Sewer Man. This report ended up going viral around the university, and everyone was talking about it. By spring of the following year, the interest died down, and everyone sort of, you know, forgot about the Sewer Man. However, that quickly changed. On the evening of April 7th, 1950, a local police officer was patrolling the grounds of the university, just minding his own business, walking around with his flashlight, you know, just trying to catch some kids smoking the reefer. Or meth. Mm, I don't think they did meth back then. No. So as the officer continued walking, he got near the loading docks, which were located near the Long Street Theater. It was there at the loading docks that the local officer came across the slaughtered remains of two chickens just laying there in the middle of the street. After looking over the area, the officer thought that there might be a group of teenagers who did this and that they were probably out looking for trouble. So the officer decided to walk back to his patrol car and report the incident. After the report, the officer decided to head back to the area of the dead birds so that he could bury them. As he approached that location, the officer was shocked. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Standing there was a strange man dressed in a silver suit, looking down at the lifeless bodies of the dead birds. The officer reached for his flashlight and shined it directly at the man. The police officer was shocked at what he was seeing. This man's skin was a silver gray color 
and his face appeared to be disfigured somewhat. Also in the middle of his head was a third eye. So after seeing that, the police officer said, F this, and ran back to his patrol car. In his patrol car, the officer requested backup and stated that, hey, I'm not getting out of my vehicle until backup arrives. Once the other officer arrived, he got out of his patrol car and together they walked towards the scene where the silver man had been standing only minutes prior. But the man and the dead birds were gone. All that remained were a few stray feathers and random bones. Now, it is important to note that even though the backup officer did not see anything that night, he still believed what his colleague was saying. However, in the report, his colleague stated that his coworker, he was just simply hallucinating. Following that, there would be no more official sightings of this weird silver tunnel man for quite a while. The last sighting of this entity at the university would occur in the late 1960s. It was late at night in the middle of October, and a group of male students had made their way to the steam tunnels under the university. The students were preparing to take part in a fraternity initiation ritual. However, before they could put the ritual in motion, a silver-suited man appeared out from the shadows carrying a lead pipe in his hand. The silver-suited man charged towards the group of students who ended up running away as fast as they could. Now, during this entire process, one of the students ended up tripping over another, and when he fell down, it was said that the silver-suited man grabbed his leg, held onto it for a little while, and then finally let go. And due to this, that student got several cuts and scratches to his face and hands. So when they got out of the tunnel, they ended up going to the police headquarters and reporting this encounter to the local police. So what did the police do? Did they go down there and investigate it? Nope. They sealed up both entrances to the steam tunnels. Also, the university made an announcement stating that any student who is caught entering the steam tunnels would be suspended. They locked him inside there. Damn. That's kind of suspicious, though. Yeah, it is. So the next encounter on our timeline occurs in 1966. An individual named George D. White, along with a group of spelunkers, were exploring Blowing Cave, Arkansas. You wanted to say Arkansas? I wanted to say Arkansas so bad. I didn't know where that cave is exactly. Blowing Cave? You do know where it's at? No, I want to know. Oh. <laughs> so I can avoid it, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. By the way, if you don't know what a spelunker is, it's someone who makes a hobby of exploring and studying caves. A lot of those people end up, uh, well, not a lot. Some people get stuck in... Yeah, because the caves that they enter aren't just like a normal inner space cavern cave where it's huge. They're like nuts and butts up against the wall. They have to like exhale to empty out their lungs to be able to squeeze through these little crawl spaces and... No, thank you. No. I'm good. All right. So George and his group were in Arkansas in an underground cavern making their way through claustrophobic passages in near total darkness. So as they crawled along, they noticed a faint glow coming from somewhere ahead of them. As they approached that area, they came to a very narrow passage, as well as what looked like a staircase going off into the darkness. They decided to go into that area, and that is when the tunnel suddenly expanded into a large corridor. The walls and the floors were smooth, and the ceiling had a curved dome shape to it. As the individuals looked around, these blue-skinned humanoid entities emerged. These entities communicated with George and his group, telling them that they had instruments that could measure people's emotions. 
Also, these entities stated that these tunnels went on for miles and that they have other various cities located inside of them. Of course, the group was skeptical. How can you be skeptical? You're talking to blue-colored entities underground. I mean, it could have been like the Blue Man group that got lost in tunnels somewhere. Oh, my God. So the group was skeptical, and the beings were like, well, you know what? We'll show your ass. So they led the entire group to an underground city that contained serpent-like creatures and large, hairy, bipedal animals. They say animals, but animals slash creatures. So kind of like Bigfoot. Ah. Now these blue entities stated that they lived in this city and that there are more of them, as in cities. George and his group were then placed inside an elevator-like device, and they were all taken to another different underground city that looked like it was completely made of glass. After this, the entities said their goodbyes and the group left the cave. Of course, when they got back home, no one believed them. So what did George do? Well, he decided to go back to the cave to contact these entities again. However, George was never seen again. The entities took him, and he's living as their king now in the underground glass city. That's uh, the positive outcome. The negative outcome, sex slave. Sex slave. Maybe that's where Percy Fawcett's at. You think so? He found the city of gold? City of glass. Oh, this (laughs) is not regular glass. This is a meth house. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our next encounter that we're going to talk about takes place four years later in 1970. So a series of century-old buildings in San Francisco were scheduled to be demolished to make room for a modern high-rise office complex. The engineers began demolition And during it, one of their explosions actually uncovered an underground natural tunnel. At this point, the engineers began hearing what sounded like animal noises coming from inside the tunnel. The workers decided to go down into the natural tunnels to try and identify the source of the noise. As they walked through the dark corridors, shining their flashlights down it, they all froze in terror. Standing in the middle of the tunnel was a colony of eight like creatures huddled together. So the engineers ended up saying, screw this, and ran out of the tunnel. I don't blame them. Now, initially, they were hesitant on reporting, you know, what they had encountered. You know, they didn't want to go to the police because they didn't want people or officials to think that they were crazy. However, they decided, hey, let's go ahead and report this to the police. So they went to the police headquarters and filed a report. One of the engineers named Brian Snyder was interviewed by the police. In the report, it stated, Brian Snyder sat shivering in fear as he drank from a mug of coffee. The incident took place less than an hour ago in an underground tunnel that the engineers were inspecting. As Brian, along with his co-workers, made their way through the tunnels, they came across a group of ape-like creatures huddled together. Brian stated that these creatures walked on two legs They had very long arms that were dangling to the floor, and they were all hunched over, sort of like apes. The eyes of the creatures bulged out and glowed like an animal in the darkness. Brian also stated that he thinks the creatures were afraid of their flashlight beams. When the light illuminated them, they hissed and grunted at the engineers and then scurried away. Now, Brian's co-worker, engineer Rick Waker, he ended up backing up Brian's claims. He also added to them by saying, 
I think if it hadn't been for our flashlights, the strong beams shining into the eyes of those ape-like creatures, that they would have ripped us to pieces. We just didn't wait around. We beat it out of there very fast. Now, he said we beat it out of there very fast. I think he meant we ran out of there very fast. Yeah. Very, very poor choice of words. Pretty poor. Anyway, very scary encounter. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. So that encounter happened in 1970. The next one that we're going to discuss occurred eight years later. In August of 1978, a 51-year-old man named Ernest was living in his apartment in Toronto, Canada. At that time, he had been caring for a litter of kittens, and one of them ended up going missing. Ernest ended up going outside and searching the streets around his apartment for the lost kitten. As he was looking around, he ended up noticing in the ground, alongside the foundation of his apartment building, was a small dirt entrance. He thought to himself, hmm, maybe the kitten climbed into that entrance. So you know what? I'm going to get on my belly and slither my way into that opening. I'm a snack. I'm a, I'm a Ernest snack. And that's, that's what he did. So as Ernest crawled into the small opening, he realized that it was actually a small cave. So he turned on his flashlight and continued crawling deeper into it, looking for his lost kitten. When Ernest was about 12 feet inside, the small cave opened up into a tunnel. He stood up and started walking inside of it. This is when he came across something that he stated he would never forget. He was quoted saying, I'll never forget it. It was pitch dark in there. I saw it with my flashlight. The eyes were orange and red, slanted. It was long and thin, almost like a monkey. Three feet long, large teeth, weighing maybe 30 pounds with slate gray fur. This strange looking entity told me in a raspy hissing voice to go away, go away. Then it took off down a long tunnel off to the side. I got out of there as fast as I could. I was shaking with fear. So after getting back to his apartment, Ernest ended up telling his friend about what had happened. His friend told him, hey, you should probably go speak to the news about this. But Ernest refused. However, several months later, Ernest did go to the Toronto Sun newspaper and tell them about this incident. Ernest then took some of the reporters to the entrance of the cave that led to the tunnel. Now, they didn't see the bizarre creature again, but they did find the mangled remains of a dead cat that was half buried in the ground. Now, we do have an artist illustration of the creature that Ernest supposedly had seen, and we'll post that picture up on our website, the rest of them. I mean, it kind of does look like a very skinny chimpanzee. Yeah. Still, if I had seen that anywhere, not just in a tunnel, but I mean, even in my backyard, I'm going back in my house. Oh, you're damn right. All right. So that right there is a short history lesson on tunnels around the world, as well as a few documented encounters individuals have had with strange entities that supposedly dwell in these underground tunnels. However, just like every week, this is not the end of the episode, because now we're going to hop into our strange facts and findings section, where we go over some additional strange things that we'd come across while researching this topic. So Dan, can you start that off for us? Of course. So our first strange fact I'm finding is about a gruesome tale of a Scottish farm laborer named Sawney Bean. So the legend of Sawney Bean was first mentioned in a pamphlet way back in 1755 that was distributed in Britain. It would be over 100 years later that the story of Sawney Bean would be mentioned again. 
Now, very little information about the early life of Bean was known, but we do know that he lived during the 15th century in East Lothian until he was relocated to Ayrshire. He would end up getting married, and him and his wife decided to find a new home, which was the Benane Cave. So this cave was a mile-long cave system with many, many side passages, and it was very suitable for other couples to make a home in it. In a cave? In a cave. Now, when it says other couples, it means like multiple? Like you got a cult down there? You could say it could be kind of like a cult. Oh, okay. It also had a very nice security system. The cave's entrance would flood for several hundred meters into the cave twice a day. Now, anyway. Now, hold on. But what, what were these people, aquatic animals? How did they stay in there? It's a mile long in there. Like, oh, so they, it didn't flood all the way in, just the entrances. Just the entrance, so no one could just like go in randomly. Oh. Now, anyway, Bean needed a way to support his wife. He didn't really have much of a trade. I did read that he might have been a tanner. Which, of leather, not one that goes to the tanning bed and lays down. But yeah, he, he dabbled in tanning, but it wasn't really cutting it to survive off of. So he took up the life of robbing people. Oh, God. He would ambush travelers on the narrow roads that connected the villages in the area. So when he started robbing these individuals, kind of thought to himself, you know what? If I just robbed them, they would know my identity and my mugging days would be numbered. I want to keep robbing people forever. So I have this great idea. I just need to murder the ones I mug. That way they can't tell anybody. I mean, it does solve that. Damn, Bean. <laughs> Mr. Bean out here murdering people. It gets even better. Another idea popped into his head as well. Instead of having to go to villages for provisions, you know, food and such, and risking the chance to be questioned about, hey, did you pass these people on the road? They were supposed to be heading this way. He decided not to. He's like, why not just butcher the people he murdered and eat them? God dang. They were high in protein, a diet of human meat for himself and his wife. This would mean he could dispose of the evidence of murdering people. Now, this diet seemed to have worked out great for the two of them because Miss Bean started popping out children left and right. A total of 14 kids. God damn, they were f***ing. Oh, there was a lot of it. Jesus. Now, they all had a very, very unhealthy appetite for human flesh. And as they got older, they copied, as in they as in the kids, copied their parents and had little beanies of their own. Now, I hope with different individuals rather than Wait, don't look. Are you looking at me like that? Because, oh my God. So they were, uh, what is that called? Incest. Incest. Damn. Yes, sir. They, they had little uh, mutated babies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for the next 25 years of living in the cave, Bean had a family and his family extended throughout the cave. All of them craved human flesh. They refined their skills of murder and cannibal cuisine. Oh, God. Which included the lost art of pickling and salting the flesh for later consumption. Now, this worked out great for them for over 25 years until someone in the family messed up. They somehow let a decaying body part float out onto the nearby beach. After that, it just went downhill for the beans. They ended up ambushing a couple that was returning from a nearby fair. They dragged the woman off her horse and had already had her disemboweled before she hit the ground. The husband of the woman was fighting for his life and realized what his fate would be if he was, you know, taken off his horse. So he ended up kicking and swinging until he was able to get the horse free to take off running, and he ended up running over some of the family members, the beans. As this happened, 
a group of 20 or more people who were also coming from the fair saw this occurring. A big battle commenced, and the beans finally caught themselves at a disadvantage of being outnumbered. The beans retreated back to the cave to reassess the situation, but they left behind evidence of their crimes. The woman. Oh. The husband was then taken before the chief magistrate and told his story, which ended up going to the very top, to King James I. So King James was like, oh, hell no. We can't be having that shit happening. We have to stop this because the long list of missing persons, now it finally makes sense why so many people went missing. You imagine those kids coming out in like tattered up homemade clothes. This is like people from the game The Forest. Yeah. Coming out and killing you and taking you into their cave. That's horrifying. Literally the same exact thing. So like you said, King James was like, we got to take care of this. So he gathered 400 of his toughest soldiers with a pack of tracker dogs. This ended up being one of the biggest manhunts in the country of Scotland. They searched the countryside of Ayrshire and the coastline, but they couldn't find anything. Luckily, they had the tracker dogs with them, which they finally picked up a scent as they went by a partially waterlogged cave, the cave in which the beans lived in. The beanie cave. The soldiers all lit torches and decided to enter the cave with their swords drawn. They made their way down the mile-long cave system into the Sawney Bean family lair. What they would see down in the caves was nothing they were ever prepared for. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break. This is our last one, so don't go nowhere. All right, welcome back. What they would see down in the caves was nothing they were ever prepared for. They would see the damp walls of the cave lined with human body parts. It was like they walked into a butcher shop. They even had a storage area for all the clothes, accessories, and heaps of discarded bones from all their other victims. After a fight commenced, the king and soldiers overwhelmed the 48 members, Jesus, of the Bean family and took them into custody. Instead of them going through, you know, the Scotland justice system, they decided the crimes were so heinous that, you know what, we're going to sentence all of them to death. The men would suffer almost the same fate as their victims. They weren't eaten, but they had their limbs torn off and left to bleed to death. A total of 27 men. The women were made to watch the men bleed to death. Once they did, the women were then burned alive like they supposedly did to witches. You know what? That's not really fair to the kids. They were raised that way. That is all they've ever known. And to have your family members ripped apart in front of you but you don't know any better because it's your parents who are supposed to teach you right from wrong. You aren't born to hate. No. You're taught to hate. So it's kind of fucked up. It is kind of messed up. Then again, I don't know. I guess they were just too far gone. Yeah. I mean, they were raised up on eating humans and tearing people apart, killing them. Yeah, they should have just gathered them up and just sent them on an island. I don't know how much better that would have been, though. I don't know. Anyway. So yeah, that was like an interesting story of humans turning into... Pretty much cave monsters or, I mean, yeah, monsters pretty much describes it. Yeah. And, I mean, it kind of reminded me of the movie of the uh, 13th Warrior with uh, Antonio Banderas. Have you ever seen that movie? I know, I've, we talked about this before. No, I've never seen it. Y'all got to watch that movie. But, yeah, this story of Sawney Bean is actually very popular. They even have, like, uh, ballads of it. I've never heard of it before. I haven't heard of it until now. But I like it. Well, not like it as in, like, that way, but I think it's interesting. 
think there's like tons of bands over in Scotland that's, you know, they rewrote, rewritten the song and sung it their own way and such, but pretty popular over there. The Killer Bean Family. The Killer Bean Family. The Beans. <laughs> it's like the most non-badass name to have. I mean, it works. All right, so let's talk about our next strange fact of finding, which is about the cave systems throughout the world. I know we have previously done an episode over the missing 411, and this was a while back. And in that episode, we mentioned that there is an image comparing the missing people of the 411, which if you don't know what that is, it's that a lot of people that go into national forests go missing. Mm -hmm. And it's very odd. An individual took a map of the United States and overlaid the areas of the national forest and where the people go missing. And then they took another map of the United States and overlaid the areas where the underground caverns are at. And if you overlay them on top of one another, you can see that majority of these underground caverns and tunnel systems throughout the United States are near or under national forests, which is where all these people from the missing 411 go missing. So that brings up the theory, hey, maybe there's like a bunch of bean families, well, not specifically beans, but families like the beans or creatures or whatever that are taking these people. And that's actually just of the United States. We decided to keep looking up more information about caves. And we stumbled upon another image showing the top 10 longest cave systems in the world. And of course, half of those being in the United States alone. And these are just ones that are actually documented, which we have the image right here, which you can see on our website. And it's, you know, labeled the longest caves in the world. And the longest one is actually in Kentucky. And it's called the Mammoth Cave. I only assume that as far as they can measure, it's 426 miles long. Jesus. And then it just, the rest of them are like 270, 249, 239. And like the 10th one is 131 miles. Fisher Ridge Cave in Kentucky. A lot of these are... About half of these are in the United States and half of them are... Mexico. Yeah, around the world. Mm-hmm. Dang. Which you think, as big as these caverns are, there's no way in hell that someone's 100% explored those. Oh, absolutely not. Would you ever explore any of those? I'm out. I, I wouldn't do it. Only cave I would explore would be that one that has like that big skylight opening. And I think in China. Oh, the one they just recently discovered? Yeah. Yeah. It has like its own little ecosystem down below. That's the only one to be 100%. Like the, the one that we have nearby, the... I didn't even know we had a cave system nearby. Yeah, it's like that mammoth cavern one or whatever. You talk about inner space caverns? Yeah. So you did know. But you well, I, I knew it, but I, it's like a commercialized cave system. They charge people, they take you down there, and they just walk you around. Oh, I remember coming back from Virginia Tech one weekend and me and my buddy, Keith, we were driving back and we stopped at this little shop. We didn't have a GPS or anything. We weren't really sure how to get back. And at the time, our phones didn't have like, you know, Google Maps or Apple Maps or anything like that. You had Motorola Razors. You had Nokia <laughs> brick phones, baby. Yeah. I had a, uh, was it Brent Katana? I had an LG Chocolate. I hated those phones so much, the chocolates. But uh, we stopped at this place to buy a map. That makes me feel super ancient just saying that. This place was actually connected to the mountain behind it to where if you wanted to go into the you know, cavern to go explore, you could. You had to pay like a fee and all that. 
And I just looked, I'm just like, no. You know, well, that's probably the best way to do it because I'm sure they attach some type of tracker device to you so you don't get lost. I mean, that would be a good idea, but... That's the only way I would do it. You would not catch me just free-balling it into a random-ass cave. But how well would those work in the caves, though? I don't know. There's got to be, like, Wi-Fi system setups, right? I mean, you think about nuclear power plants inside the containment. They set up a Wi-Fi system in there. I don't know. This place was pretty hillbilly-ish. I don't think they... No, never mind then. Actually, I don't even think they had Wi-Fi back then like that. Oh. Well, now they got to, probably. They got to have a tracker system. Probably now they do. Yeah. But yeah, they, they sold all types of crystals and stuff in there, but yeah, I, w- I wouldn't go. Mm-mm. Yeah, not free balling. No, sir. All right, Dan, I'm interested to hear in Chud. Tell me about <laughs> Chud. All right. So as I was searching up about these underground entities, I stumbled upon a movie, which is our next strange fact and finding. This movie was made back in the 1980s, and it's called Chud, C-H-U-D. I know it sounds weird but it definitely fits well with this topic. And P.S., there are some spoilers in this strange fact and finding, so if you want to watch the movie, well, then... That's too damn bad. So, the movie description goes on to say that a bizarre series of sudden disappearances on the streets of New York City seems to point towards something unsavory living in the sewers. It all starts with a scene of a woman walking her dog in the middle of the night in New York City And that is when a slimy green hand emerges from a nearby manhole and pulls her down into the sewer depths. As it goes on introducing the main people in the movie, it is discovered that each person is connected to the overall story, which is a story of a string of missing person cases. Now, the important part of this would be what these slimy creatures are. Chud. What the hell does Chud stand for? Well, At first, they believed it stood for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dweller. When you say they, you're talking about the people in the movie? People in the movie. Okay. Now, these are mutated, man-eating monsters inhabiting the tunnels beneath the city, but all that was just a cover-up. It was found out that the government was being super naughty and doing experiments, and the name Chud actually meant Contamination Hazard Urban Disposal. So they were disposing of hazardous wastes underground and they got in trouble. Got in trouble and I can only assume that homeless people were down there probably. Mm. And they end up being mutated, turning into man-eating monsters and pretty much grabbing people off the streets and eating them. Damn, thanks a lot, government. Yep, and we have a photo here of kind of what the chud looks like. It's looks like a, a mothman that got acid thrown on it. Kind of, yeah. But yeah, I thought that was actually kind of interesting, which I guess it did well enough to have a second movie made of it, Chud 2. I think anybody can make a second movie of something, though. I don't think it has, like, a requirement. Like, we could go and make, if we had the licensing to do it, we could go make a Harry Potter 28 or a Fast and Furious 212, you know, if we got the licensing. By the time we get the licensing, they would already be there. Yeah, probably. Just keep making those movies. Yeah, but I, I kind of want to watch this movie just to see how bad it is. We'll put it on the list to watch. Put it on the list to watch. Another movie, if you listeners haven't seen it yet, Descent. That is a very good scary movie. It's about a group of friends who go 
exploring in an underground cavern. They get lost and they come across these entities. Very scary. Yeah, it says a, a caving expedition goes horribly wrong as the explorers become trapped and ultimately pursued by a strange breed of predators. Mm. Which, yeah. All right, so let's get on to our next strange fact and finding, which is about the legend of the underground people in Los Angeles. So back in 1933, a mining engineer by the name of George Warren Shufield talked about stories that were told to him from the Hopi people about their legends that they had encountered. These legends described a race of lizard people. And I know it sounds like reptilians, but that's not the case here. They pretty much just worshipped lizards a lot because they were supposedly the symbol for long life. I mean, you look at a lot of our politicians, they're all lizards, so they're like a billion years old. This is true. All right, so 5,000 years ago, these people created three great underground cities near the Pacific coast. They were built underground as protection against so-called great cataclysmic fires that would happen on the surface. Now, one of those cities was built under where Los Angeles is now located today. So George decided that he would try to find these underground cities, especially the one beneath Los Angeles. What George reported was that the underground city was laid out in the shape of a lizard. Now, where the head would be is northeast Los Angeles, and it would extend to its tail that is below the downtown Central Library. And we do have an image of what this supposed underground city looked like, along with like a, the city itself and pictures of George in a train. His, what is that, his wife bent over on a train? Or is that him? I have no idea. I think his wife bent over on a train and he's working on it. Is that even a train? What the hell is that? I can't tell what that is. I don't know. I wonder if that's the device he created. Oh, yeah. Look at that lizard person. Ah, lizard. Yeah, so George believed that these lizard people were more intellectually advanced than modern-day humans. They didn't dig tunnels like we would now with, like, you know, drills, machines, stuff like that. They used a certain type of chemical to dig through rock, which I guess kind of melted the rock, which interesting. But then they would construct huge-ass domed caverns that could house thousands of families. The city was further connected through more tunnels that led from the ocean which in turn, the flow of the ocean water into the tunnels forced fresh air into the labyrinth. Then, by 1934, George claimed to have developed a device called a radio X-ray. He used this newly created device to locate tunnels and a treasure room beneath Fort Moore Hill in downtown Los Angeles. George would claim that gold objects would be found in the room so he could get funding, so he could begin excavation. Once he got funding and permission from authorities to drill a 350-foot shaft, his work would then begin. Which, an FYI, the deal he had to make with the authorities was that anything of value that he did find, he had to split evenly with them. So pretty much it's like, oh, there's gold? All right, we'll let you do it as long as we get half of what you find. Mm. So it's all about the money. Thanks a lot, Uncle Sam. Yeah. So yeah, the work began uh, with the drilling, but they kept having issues with cave-ins, and this led to the halt in funding. Also, any and all media coverage stopped as well, and that is when George disappeared from the public scene, not being heard of or seen until 1957 when he died. So yeah, very interesting, 
strange facts and finding. We need to go to LA and drill some holes. I don't know. In the ground. In the ground. Drill some holes in the ground. I just want to make that clear. I don't know. Because I know people are just like, what about the LA Bowl people? We didn't include them because they're not really entities. They're they're real people. They're, they're real human people. beings. They're just homeless people. Okay? And they live underground. Not a big deal. Yeah. What we're talking about are entities, monsters, strange creatures that are in these tunnels. And I know we said that these aren't like reptilians. They're lizard people. But from that image right there, they don't look completely human. No. Uh-uh. So, yeah. So, that was that strange fact I'm finding. Yep. So, let's get on to our next strange fact I'm finding, which is about an underground city in Turkey. Now, I know we mentioned certain underground tunnels that had cities located in them during the main part of the episode. However, this underground city is so good that it needed its own section in Strange Facts and Findings. All right, so throughout history, we all know that since the times of ancient catacombs to even the modern-day subway trains, human beings have used underground as a means of travel or storage. Even during times of extreme emergencies, ancient humans would live underground when there were no other options. And it was during this option that these individuals could go to the underground city located under the town of Cappadocia in Turkey. So like we mentioned, this underground city was built for protection against both weather and war. The people there in Cappadocia were constantly being attacked and they got tired of losing lives. They're like, we need to do something about this shit. So they decided to retreat and live underground for just long enough for the threat to leave. So it was only like a few weeks at the time. They're like, hey. We're getting word that some people are coming over to kill us. Time to go into the caves. They all have a siren goes off. They all go into the caves. The army trots in. Where the hell is everybody at? You got to think that army and the leader, they were probably just thinking, holy shit, we're going crazy. We're hearing traders going to the Cappadocia to trade and they have so much stuff. And then we come over here to raid them and then nobody's here. (laughs) And then we leave and then all of a sudden they're still trading again. Oh, man. That's some mind games right there. It is. Yeah. All right, so now under the city of Cappadocia is the underground city called Derinkuyu. This city dates to around the 7th or 8th centuries and could hold around 20,000 people. Also, here recently, it was discovered that there is an entire other region underground that connects to this. And get this, this region spans 5 million square feet and is calculated that it is around 371 feet deep. Now, this new region is a third larger than Derinkuyu. It was pretty damn big. Yeah, that's, it would have been like 10 times my town in the population, <laughs> at least. In high school, I used to work in a town called Golson, and it had a population of like 900 people. Oh, that's smaller than mine. Yeah, that's where I got robbed at. Guy came in wearing an all-black suit, stuck a gun to my head, said, give me all the money. I said, okay. Yeah, my town of Matoka had like a population of like 2,000-something. But it was a very small town, mm. like countryside. Anyway, so these underground cities in Cappadocia are architectural marvels. They have wells within them that plunge deep into the water table, and then they have holes through the ground above to the surface for ventilation. And get this, it was discovered that for security, individuals underground would roll these huge-ass large circular stones in front of the entrances to protect them from outside invaders. God, smart. And we also have a picture of the inside of these uh, underground cities. And damn, that's crazy. You know, I, I would still be scared to walk through those. 
I would too. That it'd collapse? Yeah. But look in the distance. Look at those stairs. They're better than the stairs we have outside. I don't know, man. So they had holes in the top there that go all the way to the surface for ventilation. When it rains, people walk in there and get rained on and all that crap. Probably. That's probably how they took showers. That's how the shower was invented. Damn. The more you know. Not factual with people. Don't, <laughs> don't say that's factual, okay? We're just joking. All right. So let's talk about our next strange fact and finding, which is about cryptic creatures in India. So researchers in southern India have spent the last six years surveying for any signs of a mysterious animal that has been spotted ever so often but remains unknown. They're like, we, well, I know we're seeing it. People keep reporting it, but we can't find this damn thing. Where's it at? So they brought in the researchers in the past six years. They've been trying to find it. Well, eventually the researchers got fed up, said F this, and decided to drain a bunch of wells and water tanks that led deep into the water table. This ended up paying off, though, for them because the researchers found dozens of bizarre subterranean catfish and also a new species. This new species was called Horglonus popoli. It is a type of tiny, blind, pigmentless catfish native to Kerala. The cryptic fish has no eyes and a blood-red coloring. Yet, the features, you know, don't make it unique. Yeah, they said it wasn't, like, the way it looked didn't make it unique. Yeah, that's how they all look down there. It looks unique. The damn thing looks weird. Yeah. Now, even though they were genetically, you know, different from all the other known species, they said that there were no morphological differences to distinguish them from other species. Which, I'm guessing they just mean no physical features on them that made them look different from the other ones that they found. The only way to tell the difference is through genetic barcoding. So they had to DNA sample this thing and be like, oh shit, this thing is actually different from these other ones that we found. So this is a new species now. Hmm. Congratulations. Yep, you found a Horoglanus popoli. You found a Horoglanus popoli. You found a whorefish. Yeah. Catfish. It is an odd-looking fish. It, it honestly reminds me of a, what is it, Canadian bloodworm, but more translucent. Mm-hmm. It has fins. Yeah, it's a weird little thing. I would not want to be swimming around with something like that, though. No, that looks like it could crawl up your pee hole. It does. And with the whiskers. Or your bee hole. Tink. Oh, dang, it locks itself in with his whiskers. Oh, yeah. man, that suck. Mm. Speaking of sucking, let's talk about our next strange facts and finding, which is about an underground explorer stumbling upon some weird creatures while inside a long tunnel system. So this urban explorer had claimed that he found a tunnel system deep within a forest that seemed like it would go on for miles and miles beneath the ground. The explorer would go on to say how the entrance was oddly quiet but there were signs of many visitors, such as graffiti all over the walls of the inside of the entrance. As he would travel further into the tunnel, the messages on the wall seemed to get darker. There was one message written on the wall that said, they are coming. He continued to walk inside the tunnel for several minutes until he finally made it to a bend in the tunnel system. That is when he shined his light down one of the passageways and what he saw terrified him. Two creatures were peeking out from the corner, looking at him. This ended up freaking him out, and he said F this and started running back the other way to the exit. As he was running, he stated like it sounded like one of the creatures grunted at him. 
Now, we do have a link to a TikTok that shows some of the video footage, which after seeing the footage, I'm like, eh. Okay. It looks kind of fake to me, but whatever. Yeah, we'll include the link and you can determine yourself if real or not. You know, we just give you the information. Yeah, it just it's just the way that when he saw the creatures, how the eyes moved. And there's running water below where these creatures are standing. Not once did you hear like a splash or anything when it stepped out. Oh, amateur hour. Yeah. I mean, you got you to gotta look at the surroundings too. Yeah. All right. So that right there was our last strange fact and finding. Now we get into our theories section. So Dan, do you want to start it off for us? I'll start it off. Sure. So our first theory is that there is an underground civilization. So going off the fact that there are remnants of underground cities, like in Cappadocia, and supposedly there's one in Los Angeles somewhere. And the Bean family, can't forget them. And the Bean family. This can show that, you know, maybe some people believe that living underground was the ideal place to be. Harsh weather conditions, you know, way back. You know, maybe they just got scared of the, you know, different season changing. It's cold, hot, rainy, and then all of a sudden everything looks like it's dying, you know, fall. Or maybe it was just because of war. They got tired of being raided and people losing their lives. So they decided to go where they would be safe, underground, where they could be well protected against most of the weapons they would have back then. Unlike now, where they have bombs that penetrate the ground and... Oh, yeah, those. Yeah. So maybe there were underground civilizations that, you know, just flourished. There had to have been. When you think about everything that has been found underground, for example, in China, all of those clay warriors that were found. Yeah. In the past, we know for a fact that there were individuals that lived underground. Now, that leads us to the question, have these individuals continued living underground, hiding themselves better, and then eventually evolved? becoming exclusively underground and surfacing rarely to take individuals like the beans did and eat them? Or is it one of our other theories, which we're going to get into? Well, that actually sounds like the next theory, which is troglobites. Troglobites, yep. So a troglobite is an animal species or population that is strictly bound to underground habitats, such as caves. They have completely adapted to life in the dark caves and their adaptation is so high that the light outside of the caves is literally impossible for them to live in. They couldn't live there. Now, troglobites include cave fish, cave crayfish, and shrimp, millipedes, some salamanders, and insects. They have poorly developed or absent eyes, little pigmentation, and metabolisms that allow them to go a long time without food. It sounds exactly like me. Um, (laughs) So what if there are some humanoid troglobites living in these cave systems? Like we mentioned earlier. I 100% believe there are. I'll save my personal opinion till the end, but let's get into this next theory, Dan. What is it? All right. So we had to bring this one back. Mm -hmm. The theory is called hollow earth. So of course we all know the hollow earth theory, that there's the outside world and then inside earth, is another world completely different. So all these underground cities and such, you know, it's just part of the civilization that lives inside of hollow earth in their own world. Now, these entities that people have seen, these creatures or whatever, they could be the habitants of hollow earth. Or what I read up that someone stated that these creatures or entities 
are not the actual inhabitants of Hollow Earth, but they're like deterrents from going further oh. down to Hollow Earth. So sort of like guardians of Hollow Earth. Guardians or guard dogs or... Okay. Or they, like you said, were inhabitants of the Hollow Earth, but they got in trouble, expelled from Hollow Earth, and now they live in the middle. They're like, screw that. We don't want to go back up onto the surface. It's crazy out there. Mm-hmm. We're just going to stay in the middle. And that's where they stay at. That's pretty bad if they choose to be in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Shows you how bad we are. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that theory. Yep. So, the next theory we got is called seeing things. So, what we know is that our mind plays tricks on us, especially in dark places. I've had it happen to me. I know you've had it happen to you. I'll be laying in bed at night, pitch dark. I look in the corner and I think I see something just like chilling up in the corner of my room. Turn the light on. Nothing's there. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine being in a dark cave where you can't turn on the lights. And all you hear are little drops of water here and there, but nothing else other than your own breathing. Then you hear a rock fall and roll. Next thing you know, you're wondering, I wonder what caused that rock to fall. It's dark, so your mind tries to fill in what it cannot see just so you can try to comprehend what it is that is around you. That is when your imagination can run wild. You see a rock that is upright, And your mind fills in the blanks and says, that is a person. You freak out thinking you just saw some humanoid and you book it out the cave. 100% possible. It's definitely possible. Yeah. I have had it happen to me. I think we mentioned this in like a, in the sleep paralysis episode. Yes. When you're like partially asleep, you see something, but you didn't see it fully. But then your brain tries to fill in the rest to try to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. So you end up being tricked or believing that you saw something that you didn't really see. So I think it's possible. I like this theory. It is definitely possible, and we've had it happen to us, you know. So what's this last theory we got, Dan? All right. So this last theory is called government testing. So just like the movie Chud, Chud. So what if the government has full use of these underground tunnels and caverns, and they are using it for secret projects? Like we could say Denver International Airport? Now, these experiments have gone wrong and they had no place to really put them because they didn't want to put them down because they're still studying them. So they let them run wild in these caverns, these tunnels. So kind of like Raccoon City, Resident Evil? You could say that, yeah. And these beings or entities that individuals are seeing are actually the zombies that were infected. If we're talking or if we're comparing it to Raccoon City and Resident Evil. Correct. Okay. And how some of these people are seeing these things these creatures, entities are navigating through these caverns and they're finding the entrances to these caves and they're popping out. And I mean, you can kind of link it to missing 401. People going missing, they are hungry, pulling people in. Yeah, and that takes us to our personal thoughts and theories, which I'm going to mention real quick. That is what I believe. I believe that there are individuals like the Bean family living in some caverns in the National Forest and these people that go missing are actually being taken by these individuals. And I know that sounds horrible, but it's a logical explanation. It's happened before. Now, I think when individuals say that they went into these underground tunnels and they see these creatures, I think it could be either these people that have lived there underground for so long looking completely different Uh or their minds playing tricks on them. I don't really think that there is 
an underground race that is like protecting hollow earth as much as I want to believe that there is. I just, I, I don't believe that. What about you? I would go with either just like you, there might be like a Sony bean family, you know, living there and all that. Cause it made me think when I start playing Minecraft, I know Minecraft. Jesus. What was that? 2008? No, recently actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I play the story mode because I like playing the story mode, like the survival stuff. Yeah, it's good. Instead of building a house and all that such, the first thing I do, I end up kind of like making a little cave and building and like fortifying that to where I know my back is protected by the mountain and such. And I have like an entrance and everything. It's like the safest thing. So it's like, you know, protecting yourself from war and all that. It's easy to do. You just have to like, you know, pretty much dig, tunnel. You limit your exposure not only to weather, but to war. Yeah. And a family, people might have done that and they just got too comfortable in there. Then they started adapting to the darkness and everything. But yeah, so they just got used to it. And by the time they figured, oh, we could make, build a house and everything, it was too late. Yeah. So just like the Bean family, they found a long cave system. Oh, it's our lair now. Then they just ended up reproducing. And that's where they ended up. That's a good one. I like that. Now, I, I would like to go with the government testing because I could kind of see that. But then again, not too much on there other than the movie, really. No. And any toxic waste like that is highly regulated. And if there's any rumors of even a company doing something like that, and not even a company, but the government, there's other officials that regulate that and they'll crack down on them. Now, in other countries, it's all fair game. You know, I've heard yeah. of uh, companies going to other countries and dumping out their toxic waste and, you know, rainforests and shit like that, which is messed yeah. up. But I don't think it causes chuds, these monsters. No. Mm -mm. Anyway, if you or a loved one have gone into an underground cave or tunnel and you have witnessed an entity or a monster or anything like that, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. It's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. And Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We want to know about your encounters with chuds. Let us know if you're a spelunker. <laughs> yeah, if you do any spelunking or whatever the hell it's called. I think it was right, spelunking. Spelunking, if you do any of that, send us an email. You crazy bastard. Yeah. All right, well, that is the end of our episode today. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And I do want to say that this is episode number 200 for us. Episode 200. Big milestone for us. So happy episode 200. Also, happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. I hope you're spending it with someone you love. And if you're not, don't worry. You still are spending it with someone you love, which is yourself. And just know that we love you too. With that being said, I want to thank you for joining us today and thank you for your support. You are all amazing every single one of you. So Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. Happy Turkey Day. Gobble, gobble.